So, Second Peter verse uh, chapter three verse nine. Notice what it says there: The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this verse right here, it couldn't get any more clear. This shows that God wants everyone to be saved. There's no doubt God wants everyone to be saved. God wants all to come to repentance. The Bible spells that out for us. There's no absolutely no doubt about that. Yet at the same time, we know that even though it's God's will, are all going to come to repentance? I mean, does anybody in here think that everybody is going to get saved? Absolutely not. Yet at the same time, there is a group of people out there who call themselves Calvinists that believe in something called the tulip. Does anybody know what the tulip is? And it's not a flower. All right. Anybody know what the tulip is? All right. A few people know what the tulip is. So the tulip, it's an acronym for some things that they believe. And I'm just going to give you a brief overview of this. So in the tulip, for the T, they believe in total depravity or also known as total, total inability and original sin. Basically, what that teaches is that man is not able to save himself, which is true. We cannot save ourselves. There's no doubt about that. But they take it even farther and say, man is not even capable of just coming to a place of salvation on his own. So in other words, you know, I'm not able to just believe on Christ because I want to. If I have faith, if I have repentance, if I believe, it's because God gave it to me. Therefore, God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't. That is what they teach. And so, you know, we often say, how do you know you're saved? Well, oh, I believe on Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what they would say, you, know, you can't say that because if you believe, it's because God gave you that belief and because you can't just believe yourself. And that's foolish. We're not going to take time to debunk all these things. But they believe in unconditional election. So in other words, that's for the you. In other words, God has elected who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And that's partially true because God did do that. God chose that those who believed would be saved and those who did not believe would not be saved. But that doesn't mean God picked individuals and said, you know, I choose Brother Renee to believe and I choose Brother Lonnie not to believe. But that's exactly what they teach. And they butcher Romans 9 to do that. They believe in limited atonement. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, He only died on the cross for the elect. For the chosen. Because why would He die for the sins of those who He didn't choose to save? Now that, I better not talk too much about this. I'll start getting mad and I'll start preaching on all these things. All right, But that, that's bad. All right, We do not believe in limited atonement. I believe the atonement will be limited to those who believe, but I do believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And the Bible is very clear about that. They also teach irresistible grace. So in other words, irresistible grace, that means when the Holy Spirit starts to draw you to salvation, you are not capable of rejecting it. See, we believe that people can hear the Gospel and then reject it. They teach that if you are the elect, if you're one that God has chosen, you will not be able to resist the grace of God. You will get saved. That is absolutely false. That's easy to disprove. And then the last one, the P is perseverance of the saints. And don't let this confuse you. They often call it once saved, always saved. Now, we believe once saved, always saved. Okay, But I do not believe in perseverance of the saints. 
like they teach it. Because perseverance of the saints, what that basically means is, is if you're saved, you will stay saved. In other words, so let's say that Brother Josh, he comes and he says that he is saved. He has professed faith in Christ. Alright? Well, how is he we gonna know he's saved? Well, he's gonna keep on living like a Christian. You know? He's gonna keep on doing good, and then if he goes and he just does a bunch of bad stuff, well, he obviously never really had it. That's the attitude that we're gonna have. And so in other words, if he is truly saved, he will, you know, persevere to the end. He will endure to the end. And they'll, you know, they'll take phrases from the Bible and just kind of misapply them. In other words, he'll stay faithful. And so, you know, those of you that are in church, you know, you better not get out of church. Because if you get out of this church, you get out of the will of God, you know what we're going to say? They went out from us because they were not of us. They didn't persevere under the persecution. Therefore, they were never truly saved. And the truth is, often, Saved people get in the flesh and they backslide on God and sometimes they don't always get right. That is very possible. And the truth is, if you believe in perseverance of the saints the way they teach it, there's no way that you can know that you're saved. See, we know we're saved because we know that Jesus Christ never did sin and He never will sin. We know that we're saved because the Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we know that He can't break His promises. Now, I have no idea what I will do I might mess up tomorrow. I don't know. But I can know that I'm saved. I can know that I'm going to heaven because I received a free gift that I cannot lose. That doesn't mean I know I'm going to be a good Christian for the rest of my life. I don't know that. I, I might not. I hope not. I, I've got to make sure I walk in the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so if you believe in perseverance of the saints the way they teach it, there's just no way you can know you're saved. And it's a, it's a very bad teaching. But that's just kind of a brief overview of the tulip. And I, I think I hopefully, I, I, I like to represent these things correctly. But I want us to look at, I'm not so much preaching against Calvinism today, as I am against a teaching that has crept into many independent fundamental Baptist churches who claim to be against Calvinism. Many of these people claim to hate Calvinism, and yet they are teaching a very key doctrine in Calvinism some of these people, it's in their doctrinal statements and I think they just don't even realize what it's saying. But some of these churches too, some of the people I know are actually teaching this stuff. They say these things when you challenge them on certain doctrines, especially on repentance, they will start quoting Calvinism to you. And the truth is, a lot of them, if they believe what their doctrinal statements say and what they are saying they believe about repentance, they're Calvinists and they don't even know it, in my opinion. And I want us to look at this. I want us to look at this this morning in detail because I'm 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 not trying to nitpick. All right, you know people can you know be a little off on things and they're fine and still saved. But listen, when it comes to salvation, the Bible is very clear in Romans eleven six. It says, "And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works." then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What is that saying right there? Salvation, it's by grace, right? Do we not all agree with that? Even a Calvinist would say, I believe salvation is by grace. Okay? Well, here's the thing. If it's of works, then the Bible says it's not grace. Okay? And if it's grace, then it's not works. You know what that means? It means we can't mix works into salvation at all. We can't do it. If you mix any works in it, 
it's not grace. It's not salvation. It's just like a glass of water. You've heard the illustration a million times. If you put just a little bit of poison in that water, the whole thing is poison. And people are like, well, they got a little bit of Calvinism and they got a little bit of this. Listen, you add any works to salvation, it's not grace. And you're not getting to heaven without the grace of God. So these things are important. So I want to show you, this is a very common thing in doctrinal statements that is, that's in Baptist churches. Some of these people probably don't even realize it's there. Or they don't, they've not even paid attention to it. But some of these guys are actually uh, preaching this stuff. Many of these people, when I've challenged them on foolishness that they preach when it comes to repentance, they will often say quotes very similar to this. I don't even think they even realize what they're saying. And it says, here's an example. It says, we believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces, wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy. And at the same time, we heartily receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and rely on Him alone as the only all-sufficient Savior. Now, most of that sounds pretty good, but there's a few little bits of leaven that I see in there. And the Bible says a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. Why? Because leaven spreads. Alright, and I want to show you there is some leaven in there. And it's, notice what it says. There's a couple things, but I mostly want to focus on one thing. It says repentance and faith are inseparable graces. Okay? Inseparable graces. In other words, you can't have repentance without faith. You can't have faith without repentance. Now, I partially agree with that depending on how they define repentance. Depending on how they are defining those things. And here's another example of a doctrinal statement that I think is a little more honest, maybe a little more clear on what they, uh, on what they believe. It says, we believe that repentance and faith are solemn obligations and inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the quickening Spirit of God that they occur when we willfully and knowingly turn from our sin and by faith receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Alright? Now notice a couple things here. So it's saying repentance and faith are inseparable graces. Alright? And understand a grace is something that is given. It is a it is a gift, a free gift. Do we not teach that salvation is by grace? Do we not teach it's a free gift? Well, here it's saying that repentance and faith are inseparable graces. They go together. They are gifts. These are something that God gives. Alright? That's that's what they're teaching about that. And there's a, there's a few problems with that. There's a few problems with that too because when you start questioning these people, when you start d- digging into what they teach about repentance, you find out they're teaching a works-based salvation. Okay? And I'm, not, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not nitpicking. This stuff runs deep and I'm telling you, it's very, it's very dangerous. I just read a quote it said, um, that somebody said they said, repentance means a change of mind which I believe, that leads to a change of actions. Which I also believe too. Okay? So for example, if I said, you know, if I'm a drunkard and I say, you know what, I'm going to repent of my drunkenness. That means I've changed my mind that this is bad. 
I've, I've, I've recognized my mind, I need to quit doing this. And ultimately, if I actually have real repentance, I will quit drinking. Right? That's what repentance is. But what about repentance when it comes to salvation? Okay, repentance when it comes to salvation. We teach that repentance is a change of mind. But this is what people will say. If it doesn't change your actions, then it wasn't real repentance. So wait a minute. Okay, because this doctrinal statement was honest. When we knowingly turn from our sins, I thought the way to salvation was believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought we were supposed to repent of our unbelief. The Bible says, Whosoever that believeth on him is not condemned. But whosoever uh, believeth not is condemned already. So if I believe, if, I, if I'm repenting of my unbelief, that means I'm going to change my mind about Christ. And I am going to end my unbelief and I'm going to believe in Him. I'm going to quit trusting in my goodness and I'm going to trust in His goodness. That's the change right there. That's the change of mind that leads to the change in action. The change in action is I don't, I'm not trusting in my works anymore. I'm trusting in His works. And I'm going to show you a little bit. That's exactly what repentance was in the Bible when it was repentance for salvation. It was not a change of behavior. But these people that teach this, the Calvinists that teach this, and even many of the Baptists who say they are not Calvinists, they teach that if you didn't repent of your sins, that you're not really saved. So in other words, if you just went you went forward and you just said some prayer and then it didn't just change your life and you didn't quit doing all your sins and you know have a change of actions, then you didn't really get saved. But wait a minute, I thought salvation wasn't my works. I thought salvation was a free gift. You know, and why is it that when it comes to repentance, you know, I'm supposed to repent of my cussing, I'm supposed to repent of my drinking and my smoking and all that kind of stuff, but I don't have to repent of pride, I don't have to repent of arrogance, I don't have to repent of being an idiot, you know, I don't have to repent of all you know, why is it that it's just the few it's all the sins that you repented of? And listen, folks, we are one hundred percent here for repenting of sins, but I sure hope nobody gets the idea we think you've got to repent of those sins to be saved and to get to heaven. Listen, we want you all to give up your sins. Alright? Come lay your cigarettes on this old fashioned altar right now. I mean, you know, go for it. you know, you ought to, you need to repent of that. But you think that's going to get you into heaven? Do you really think that Jesus... I, mean, I was just reading about the crucifixion last night and reading about how they beat Him and how all the horrible things they did to Him. And you think that you giving up some little sin is going to be, take the place of what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Shame on you. How arrogant of an attitude that is to think your little bit of reformation that you did, I mean, that's proof that you're saved. The proof of my salvation is in the work of Jesus Christ. The proof of my salvation, my justification, is in His blood, not in my church attendance, not in my baptism, not in my change in language or change of behavior. My proof of salvation is in none of those things. That is a separate, the change of life, that's a separate repentance. And so our repentance and faith is inseparable graces. You know, because this is a, this is a problem. You know that it because it, it depends on how you define repentance. And see, the reason this is sneaking into Baptist churches today is because of the fact that our Baptist leaders, in an attempt to get back to the old paths, which we are for, their method of going back to the old paths is going to history and looking at the big names. But listen, you can't do that. 
The big names are always the sellouts. The big names are always the compromisers. Look at the big names of today. Alright? We shouldn't be going to those people. We all know they're preaching heresy. That's not the way we go back to the old past, but what do they do? They go to the big names. One of the biggest names of that day was Charles Spurgeon, who was a hardcore five-point Calvinist. Wrote a book in defense of Calvinism. I mean, that guy was this Calvinist. is all get-out, and yet independent, fundamental, Calvinist-hating Baptist quote Spurgeon all the time. Now, And it's just socially acceptable to do that. I mean, they make a hero out of this guy. And so then, somebody comes along and says, hey, you realize you're teaching a work salvation when you're telling people they have to repent of their sins to be saved? Y'all realize that in Jonah, when God, the Bible mentions the people of Nineveh, they returned from their sins and God saw their works. God called it works when they turned from their sins. So do you all realize that teaching a turning from sins for salvation is a works-based salvation? What do they do? Well, they can't go to the Bible because repent of your sins is not in the Bible, especially when it comes for salvation. It's just not there. So what do they do? They go to Spurgeon. And yeah, he's got a lot of quotes that sound great. I mean, the guy was an eloquent figure. You know, He was a smart guy, but the man believed heresy. The man was a heretic himself. And so this stuff, it's creeping into churches. And so when you start challenging preachers on this, on these certain doctrines, instead of opening their Bibles, they go to what the great men of the past have said. In other words, the famous people of the past have said. They better pray the next generation doesn't quote the famous people of this generation. Because even they will admit they're bad. But what is repentance? Turn over to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. I hate to prove things with the Bible, especially really clear passages in the Bible, but that's just what I'm going to do today just to be a jerk uh, to these people that want to go to their uh, scholars and all their commentaries and their Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff. But it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, "...and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the Gospel." This is one of the verses that they use to prove that repentance and faith are inseparable graces. Right? Because we know we have to have faith in Christ we got to believe in the Gospel. So right here in this passage, when it says, repent, believe the Gospel, that shows that these two things can't be separated. Well, first of all, that is not a proof text. Of it. That, doesn't, that doesn't prove a definition of anything. You're inserting that in there. You're inserting that in there because you have already decided that the definition of repentance is turning from sins. You've already decided that. And so when you see repent, and believe the Gospel, you're adding in that you have to separate those things. Before you to do that, you've got to be able to show me from the Bible that repent means, especially the repent that John was doing, meant turn from your sins. Because I'm going to show you what John was talking about. Because once again, I hate to use clear Scripture, but there's really clear Scripture to show what John was talking about. But before we do that, let me show you a couple examples too of repentance. The first time you see the word repentance in the Bible, not the word repent, but repentance, is in Hosea 13, verse 14. It says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hidden from mine eyes. You know what God's doing here? He's pronouncing this judgment on him. He's saying, repentance will be hid from my eyes. In other words, I'm not changing my mind on this. I'm not changing my mind on this. 
And I'm not going back on this. That's what he's telling them right there the first time we, say, we see the word repentance in, in, the, in the Bible. And then the first time we see it in the New Testament is in Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Okay? Because they'll go to repent ye and believe the gospel. There it is. Repentance and faith. We know belief is faith. He said though to repent, therefore, two inseparable graces. Because we've already decided that repentance is turning from your sins and a change of behavior, becoming good Christians like us, giving up whatever sins that I've given up, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But let's look and see specifically what John was talking about. Because repentance, like I said, it can be used for many different things. It can be used for many different things, but when it comes to repentance for salvation, it is something very specific. And John's preached about something very specific. Just like when we go souling, we preach about something very specific. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, I didn't even turn over there yet. In verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, there it is. got to repent of your sins. He said, Do it, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Okay, well, repent of what? You know, I mean, that's all preachers are. You know, what if, what if I just went up to you and repent? Like the street preachers. Of what? Alright? Tell me what to repent of. And, and these, all the street preachers will all repent of your sins. They'll go to the homo parade. Y'all gotta repent. You know, being a homo. Okay, so if I'm just not a homo, I'm saved? You know? Well, what about the rest of us that never were homos? So are we just all, right, you know, are we just automatically saved because we're not homos? Well, no, you gotta repent of whatever sin you have. Well, what if the homo has that sin too? How come he only had to repent of that? And I gotta repent of, you know, my thing too? I'd have been better off being a homo, and then I could have repented of that, and then I could have kept all my other sins, right? How many sins do I have to repent of? That, these are the questions they don't want to ask. But they act like they're a John the Baptist, because they'll have a sign with Mark 3, or Matthew chapter 3 on it, saying repent. And they don't even know what John was talking about, even though the Bible's clear. Let's keep reading. It says, For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him, uh, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to the, his baptism, he saith unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the uh, wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And all of a sudden, that's works. You've got to bring forth fruits there, meat for repentance. In other words, you say you repent, but you don't have a change of life. You don't start bringing your tithes and offerings. You didn't really repent. You know, you don't give up your television set, you know, your cigarettes and all. You didn't really repent. I mean, that's just, it's just all inserted in there. That all of a sudden, fruits for repentance is giving up whatever sin the preachers want you to give up that day. Okay? If it was me, I'd be making y'all repent of your skinny jeans. You know, that's the one I want you to get rid of. I repent. I never even repented of that. I never started that. You know, whatever it is you want to preach about. Just insert that in there. No, he's talking about something specific. What are the fruits? Meat for repentance. Verse 9, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. There's no doubt the problem that these Pharisees had, they thought they were already good because they were keeping the law. 
They thought they were good because they were the children of Abraham. And John is telling them to repent. Well, of what specifically? And what were the fruits meet for repentance? Well, look what it says in Acts 19, verse 4. This is why... See, now where most Baptists are going to go to figure out what's he talking about in Matthew. They're going to go to their commentaries. They're going to go to Spurgeon. But the best commentary in the Bible on the Bible in the world is the Bible itself. And look what it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 4. It says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him. That is on Christ Jesus. Did you all see that right there? Was that not really clear? He preached the baptism of repentance. And guess what? He told them what to repent of. You know what He told them to do? Believe on Him that was going to come after Him. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Is that not exactly what we preach? Is that not exactly what we preach? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You need to believe on Him. In other words, you need to quit not believing on Him and you need to start believing on Him. That's the repentance that we preach. It's not a turn from sins. Acts spelled it out. This guy told him. He, he's telling us exactly what John told them to repent of. And it was their unbelief. They were trusting in their works. They were trusting in the fact that they were Jews. And he said, repent. Believe on Him that's coming after me. That's what he preached. Exactly what we preached. So what's the fruits there for repentance? Well, he preached the baptism of repentance saying they should believe in Him should come after Him. You know what He was doing? He was telling them, you need to believe on Him that's coming after Me. And then when they would, you know what He did? He would baptize them. And you know what we do when people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We tell them, you should get baptized. Okay? That is a, that is a good fruit meat for repentance or suitable for repentance. It does not save you. But listen, if you get saved, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you should identify yourself with Jesus Christ and you should get baptized. That is a very good, that is a very suitable thing for a Christian to do. It doesn't get you saved, but it is a good thing for you to do. It's exactly what you should do. And is that not exactly what we preach? That is the exact same thing that we preach. Where is the repentance of sin there? It's not there. It's a repentance from unbelief. That is what the Bible clearly defines. There is, there is no doubt about it. There is no refuting that. It's just spelled out in the Bible. John never told them to repent of their sins. He only told them to get baptized after they believed on Him. That was what He did. That's what we do. John, so, the Calvinists, they teach that repentance and faith is something that God gives us. It's graces. Okay? And a, a, that is true. Okay? A grace is something that God gives us. Okay? But where does the Bible teach that God gives us repentance? In other words, God just hands you repentance and all of a sudden you're just like, whoa! I believe now. Alright? Because that's what they teach. I'm going to show you the verses that they use and it's weak. Alright? It's, it is so weak. So they'll use Mark 1.15. We already looked at that. It, that doesn't define that anywhere. That doesn't show... But it's it, what they're using deduction to prove that God gives it because it says repent and believe uh, and believe the Gospel. And since we already know, you know, 
that God chooses who's saved, you know, and they're in several cases, it's like they've already come to a conclusion, so therefore this has to be the definition. But that verse does not prove that. That's just inserted in there. Okay? And so, uh, that's a bad proof text. But look at verse uh, Acts 11.18. So this is another one they often go to. It says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Y'all see that? God gave them repentance. Alright, wow. I should have read that one before I put it in my notes. Well, guess what? I did. Look at the verse before. Acts 11.17 For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God. Here's what's going on right here in Acts chapter 11. A Gentile, Cornelius, has just been saved and has received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like the Jews had. They, The Jews, they did not realize that God wanted the Gospel to go to the whole world. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles. They had this attitude that this salvation, it was something exclusively for them. And God revealed to them, no, this isn't just exclusively just for you. This is for the whole world. And so they got together to talk about it. And they're like, sure enough, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. Turns out that salvation is not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. This isn't teaching that God is picking who's going to repent and who's not going to repent. It's just showing that God is allowing the whole world to be saved. That's all that's showing right there. And in verse 17, when it's saying He gave the light gift as He did unto us, it's not talking about this individual got the same gift as this individual. It's just showing, hey, what God's doing for the Jews, He's doing for the Gentiles too. He's saving them the same way that He's saving us. And there's another reason that they skip this verse too because there's a verse in there that says, and what was I that I could withstand God? Then they like to take, because they they like to use that saying you can't resist God. Alright? But the problem is if you look at the context of what He's talking about here, He's not teaching an irresistible grace. He's just saying, who am I to say they can't have salvation when God said they can have salvation. That's what He's teaching right there. But they like to use just that verse on separate occasions to prove irresistible grace. They can't do it with verse 18. They can't do it with the whole passage because if you get the context, you'll see what they say that verse is talking about is not what it's talking about. So there, there, there's always a reason. Okay, Whenever they give you their verses that just stump you, just read the verses before the verses after and it will clear it all up. This isn't teaching that God just gives some people repentance. Listen, God has given all of us the opportunity for repentance. God allows all of us the opportunity to be saved, but He doesn't force it on anyone. It is, but it is something that is available to everyone. And so, they'll use Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But this is just showing that salvation is a free gift that can't be earned. That's all that's showing. It's just showing salvation, it's a gift. You can't earn it. But since they've decided already that you have to repent of your sins to be saved and that God gives that, they just kind of insert that in there with the gift. No, all that passage is doing, it's not teaching us that God gives us repentance, that God gives us belief. It's saying that God gives us salvation, but the Bible is very clear. He gives it to those who believe. 
He gives it to those who are of faith. That's where it says that. So um, look at Acts 2.37. It says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, but all that's doing right there is just showing the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's part of the salvation package. Y'all understand that? Okay, we don't just get partly saved. Okay, there's a lot of things that come with salvation. Okay, there is, you know, we become spiritually alive. We receive that spiritual birth. We receive the Holy Ghost. We receive the promises of God. There's a bunch of things that come with it, and often in the Bible it will highlight one thing. It'll be talking specifically about one thing, but it doesn't make it like it's these, you know, because it uses the word repent in there, they've already decided that repentance is something else. Therefore, these things are packaged deals. Because God gives us the Holy Ghost, you know, through repentance, therefore, and we can't get past the fact that salvation is by grace. What they do is they insert this idea that they are, there's just these inseparable graces. And God gives all of it to us. That is not the case. That is just once again forcing a verse or forcing a definition on something that you've already come up with a definition for. You're not letting the Bible define itself. They'll use Romans 10, 9, and 10. So that if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, I can't even figure out how that proves their point. I can't find it. But yet, they all use that. You go on their websites, I think they just all copy and paste each other's stuff. Now, I don't know what I'm missing in that verse, but I literally see nothing in there that says, God just gives me repentance. That it's just, and I just, there's nothing I can do about it. God just decided that He wanted me, and. He just gave me that repentance. And if God doesn't give it to somebody else that's out there, He just didn't want them. Can anybody, in all those verses, do we even see anything close to that? Wouldn't a doctrine that's that extreme, that's that, you know, wouldn't there be some clear passages, some clear teaching on that? But there's nothing. In fact, we're not even going to take time to go to all the verses that just completely annihilates that. Clear scriptures that says opposite, but what they've done. They let John Calvin come up with these five points. And they have just decided these are true. Now, where can we find verses that go along with that? That's not how we're supposed to do things, folks. We're supposed to go to the Bible first and, you know, and let it tell us what to do. And then we build our doctrine around the Bible. But they try to build the Bible around their doctrine and it ends up making them look stupid because these things aren't even close. So they'll go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. It says, For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That's talking about Esau. But this verse is just an example of someone who crossed the line. Because Esau was saved. Esau was a saved man, but Esau lost his birthright. Esau sold his birthright, and once he had done it, he wasn't going to get it back. He repented of that, or he, he changed his mind about that, but there was no going back. He already lost it. 
It would be like me if I got up here and I cut my hand off and then I throw my hand in a wood chipper. I'm probably going to repent in my mind of what I had done. But is there going to be any fixing that? No. I just shouldn't have done that. Alright? And so I'm going to find no place of repentance. Well, you know, if the Lord was merciful, you know, I, I've changed my mind, I repented yet. Dude, you crossed the line. Alright? There's a line you can cross. When you cut your hand off and you throw it in a wood chipper, you're not getting it back. Alright? This isn't, we don't have Star Wars technology. We don't get to get an electronic hand and all that. I don't know. We're getting close maybe. But we can't do that. You shouldn't have done that. And there are times where people, they take things too far and you know what? There's no place of repentance. If I go and I blow your head off with a shotgun and I, I'm sorry for that, I'm not going to find any place of repentance. I've changed my mind about it, but I can't put your head back together. It's too late. You know, that's what... Somebody tell me how that verse proves that God chooses who's saved and who's not. That's a different repentance right there. That is not a repentance for salvation, but this is the type of foolishness that they use. And so, you, know, you might say, you know, the, well, so these differences are slight. Well, I don't think they're slight. I think they're pretty big differences. But a little difference can make all the difference in the world because how much repentance is enough repentance? You know? Because let, let's look at... Let's go back to that doctrinal statement. Let me show you this. One of the things it says in there, all right, and then there's no Bible for this. This is just inserted in there. It says, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt and danger. How deeply do I have to be convinced of my guilt? How bad do I have to feel about it? Do I have to cry? You know, do I have to lay on the floor kicking and screaming? Do I have to go into mourning after finding out I'm a sinner? So that after being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness in the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition. How contrite do I have to be? Because contrition, that's a state of feeling remorseful and penitent. So does that mean I've got to be willing to do penance? So how about if I feel so bad, I do like some people have done, I've heard I think in places like the Philippines, and I nail myself to a cross. That's some penitence right there. I'm really penitent. And listen, a lot of those people are sincere. There's people that on an annual basis will have themselves nailed to a cross on Good Friday. Alright, now that's some serious penance right there. But does anybody think God is going to accept that as a substitute for the cross of Jesus Christ? No, you and I know those people are going to split hell right open. Yet, in these people's doctrinal statements, they're telling me I have to be penitent. I have to be contrite. Well, how contrite? See, the Bible says that the Gospel means good news. Did you know that some people, when you go and you tell them they're a sinner, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says the Gentiles, which sought at, not after righteousness, had obtained righteousness. Why? Because they had faith. They weren't even looking for it. But somebody came along and said, hey, listen, you're on your way to hell. You're a sinner. Okay, I'm a sinner. All right. Hey, there, there is a place called heaven. There's a place called hell and you're on your way to hell. But they would tell them good news. That Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins. And if you will just accept the free gift of salvation, you, you can go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. And you know what happens to a lot of people when they find that out? They're like, wow, that's good news. I want that gift of salvation. 
Oh, I'm sorry, we can't give it to you. You don't seem like you feel bad enough yet. Well, you know, I mean, I, I've just been, it's been, just been revealed to me that I'm a sinner. And, you know, yeah, I don't want to go to hell, but listen, you're telling me about a free gift? I believe that. Can I have it? No, no, no. I need to see some tears first. No. I'm sorry, I'm too happy. Right? I like this idea of going to heaven and knowing that I'm going to go to heaven, knowing that I can't lose my salvation, knowing that Jesus paid it all. We see a lot of people in the Bible when they got saved, they just got happy. We don't see them, you know, did you see that with the Ethiopian eunuch? No, he hears it and he's like, man, where's water? here's water, what if me to be baptized? The woman at the well. Well, Jesus talked to her about all her husbands and things like that, you know. Well, I don't see where she was crying about it. I don't see where she felt bad about it. In fact, if somebody came along to me and told me about all my sins, the last thing I'm going to do is go tell everybody in town about that guy. If I'm just ashamed of those things and feel horrible about those things, what does she do? She goes and tells everybody in town, come see a man that told me everything I did. Now, why would you do that? All right? Why? I mean, if you're just, I mean, so ashamed and so worried, the last thing we want to do, you know, some of y'all, you'd be scared if your moms and dads came in here. If some of your friends from high school, you know, came to church here. Oh, please don't talk to Pastor Tommy. You know, please don't find out. You know, don't find out anything. What did she do? She's not worried about that. She's just happy because she got saved. And she's like, hey, come see this man. He gave me the water of life. He gave me a free gift. I'm on my way to heaven. Where in the world do we see in the Bible where we've just got to be, you know, crying and mourning? And that's fine. Hey, if you want to feel that way, that's fine. You ought to feel that way. Just last night, when I'm reading the crucifixion, I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm feeling bad for my sins. But I was already saved a long time ago. I already got saved, and we ought to feel bad. We ought to be convicted of our sin when we read that story. And people often are, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible where that's a requirement. When that thief came out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They didn't say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you feel bad enough. You know, look at these stripes that are on our backs. You realize you played a part in that. We were doing the work for the Lord. You realize beating us was like beating Christ? I mean, you dirty, you dirty rotten scoundrel, you know, to get some music playing, and then all of a sudden, all right, before you come to the altar, I got, you know, how many of you prisoners in here, or how many of you jailers in here, you know, ever beat somebody unjustly? How many of you ever used excessive police brutality while out there? I want to see, I see that hand. You know, you realize you're going against the law. You realize what you did. How many of you participated in persecuting God's people? Do you realize what God thinks about that? Do you realize the judgment? that is coming your way? Do you realize one of these days Jesus Christ is going to come and out of His mouth is going to come a sharp two-edged sword and He is going to hack you to pieces and the blood is going to flow? Get down here right now. You know, get down here right now and kneel, confess. And, you know, we don't see them doing that. But yet, that is exactly what they're doing. And camp meetings and things today. I was just reading a book. This guy was saying in the book, he was at a youth conference one time or a youth camp and it would, altar call time came. And it, this, this is what he said happened in the book. He said these guys came in like dressed up like communists or something. I don't remember all the details. And they're like firing these guns and pretending to kill like the youth pastors and things like that. And they were like, and then they, you know, they're wearing these masks. It like freaks everybody out. And then they like take the masks off. It's like, you know what? Communism's coming. What are you going to do? If this is you one of these days, you know what? 
If we don't have some young men stand up and surrender to preach, this is going to happen to you one of these days for real. You know, and of course, like every young man in the place, like went up and you know surrendered their life to the ministry. Really, that's how we're doing things now. And I've, I've, that's, I've not seen anything quite that good. I've, I've, but I've seen some pretty good stuff at, at invitations and altar calls and stuff. That I, I haven't seen it at that level. But folks, this stuff—it's being inserted in the scriptures, and it sounds good. Listen, we all hate when somebody does something really bad to us, and they just come and say, "I'm sorry." And it's just like I want to see them crying. I want to see them on their knees. I want to see. You know, I want them begging. You know, I, that's what I want. But we don't see God doing that in the Bible. We see that God. I mean, He God wants to give salvation. We see too. I mean, God, He is. He's. He's. He's begging us to accept the free gift of salvation. You know, God. Does, I mean, He's made it so simple. He doesn't make us walk over broken glass. He doesn't do any of that. Why? He wants it to be easy for us. Jesus did all the hard stuff, but we got a bunch of preachers today that are making it difficult. And it is a shame because their way of, way of making it difficult is adding works. And it's a, if it's of works, then it is no more grace. And here's just some questions I need to answer from these people. How much repentance is enough repentance? What level do I have to get to? Fine, I repent of my drink, but I ain't giving up my cigarettes. You know? I ain't giving up my soap operas. You know? And the thing is, too, well, if you're not willing to give up your soap operas and you're not really saved, well, yeah, how come half the church is already watching soap operas? They're the ones that got me caught up in them talking about them. You know? Yeah, well, they added that after they got saved. You've got to be willing to do it. They're just adding these things. It's just added. It's not in the Bible. It's not right. You know, how sorry do I have to be? When I was growing up, my parents tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. Sometimes they say it like you mean it. You know, I got in trouble one time because I got real dramatic, and you know, I'm so sorry. You know, then, then you get spanked for being a smart aleck and stuff. It's like can't win. I was rarely sorry too, but you know, you know, how bad do I have to want to get? I mean, you got. You know, it, it talks about in these things. You know, you got to come, and you just gotta. You've got to heartily receive it. Well, what if I just? What if I just take it? No, you've got to be willing to get up. You know, if it's the charismatic church or the Pentecostal church, you got to be willing to get up and run around the building and jump up and down or camp meeting church. You know, you got. Can I just take it? You know, because I want it, because I believe it. You know, do y'all see how there's no biblical basis for this stuff? You know, if repentance is a change of behavior, and if it's something that God gives, then why does He even command us to repent? So the Acts 17.30 says, In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, here's the thing. If it's a command, doesn't that mean I can break it? If it's repentance is a grace that God gives that I can't resist, how can I break that commandment? There, these things, they do not make any sense. And to try to make them make sense... You do. You got to. I mean, I'm trying to figure out which one does more. You know, backflips and hula hoops and all these things with the scriptures, the dispensationals or the Calvinists. All right, they're both they're both bad. But listen, John one nine very clearly says that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John three sixteen for God so loved the elect. I mean, the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth on Him that sent Me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 6.28, Then said they unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on Him in whom He hath sent. They're asking, what do we do? Tell us what work to do so we can work the work. Believe on Him. That's all. That's what He said. It doesn't get any clearer than that. John 12.32 And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto Me. Y'all see that? Was Jesus lifted up from the earth? Yes, the Bible tells us that was talking about His crucifixion. And you know what? He said, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto Me. But you know what? Will all men come to Christ? No. You know why? Because some are going to reject. And it's not because God didn't give them repentance. It's not because God didn't you know, uh, offer it to them or whatever. God didn't choose them. It's because they rejected it. That is why. So repentance and faith, these are not graces that God forces on certain people. The gift of salvation is something everyone needs to choose for themselves. And the real danger of this Calvinist teaching that's creeping into churches that are not Calvinist is it leaves you no way to have assurance of your salvation. There is no way you can be 100% sure of your salvation if you're teaching that kind of garbage. Well, did I repent of enough sins? I've still got this problem. Listen, after you get saved, the Lord's going to keep revealing sin in your life because He wants you to repent of those sins. He absolutely wants you to repent of those sins. But those sins don't mean you're not saved. That's just not in the Bible. So you can't. it gets you looking to yourself for assurance of salvation instead of looking to the work of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing, there is nothing, nothing that you can bring to the table when it comes to your salvation. There is no specific sin that you can sacrifice and there is no work that you can do. You must realize your dependence is on the blood of Christ. And when you believe that, that is where salvation is. That is what repentance that brings salvation is. It is a change of mind that causes a change in behavior. Here's my behavior that's bad. I don't believe on Christ. Here's my behavior that is good. I do believe on Christ. That, my friends, is repentance that brings salvation. And so I hope that was a help with that. Let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the clarity of it. Dear God, I pray you'll help us to uh, study these things, understand them, so we won't get caught up in these false doctrines that are getting people all mixed up and taking away assurance of salvation and causing people to make multiple professions of faith over and over and over again. Dear Lord, I pray you'll help us just to trust your word and not get caught up into uh, uh, the traditions of men that are leading people away from clear Scripture. In your name we pray. Amen.